Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I'm talking to one of my good friends today, Dr. Sai Clement, about the experience of selling a veterinary practice that she built and loves. Um, this is an emotional episode. I thought it was really fascinating to talk to someone who has enjoyed practice and enjoyed what they do and and what is the thought process and but in her mind when she comes to decide to sell a practice and and what was that emotional experience like i think it's something that a lot of our colleagues are going through as they make decisions to transition transition out of practice ownership and um i'm just curious what does that feel like and and what what choices uh, get made along the way and what are the roadblocks and hiccups and what lessons do you learn when you do it so anyway if you're interested in what that process is like or what that experience is like this is the episode for you i gotta say this was a really interesting conversation i'm really really deeply uh thankful that she was willing to share this this experience that she had i know it's it's something that most people uh keep pretty personal uh because it's something that that they have to work their way through and putting out in the world is is kind of a scary thing and so uh again a lot of gratitude goes to uh to saya she really is an amazing person and, and i think that a lot of people get a lot out of this so anyway guys let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Saya Clement. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Andy. Uh, I re- uh, so I really appreciate uh, having you on. You and I have been friends for about five years now, I think. I think we met back in 20... 20- probably a little longer than that because it was before Uncharted, uh, right? Well, yeah. So, so yeah. So we met a number of times at conferences and then, mm-hmm. uh, then I started Uncharted in 2017 and you came to that and that's when we really got to yeah. hang out quite a bit and, and become good friends. I wanted to have you on today because you've gone through an experience that um, is becoming pretty common in vet medicine. It's something that I have sort of wondered about and kind of what it really is like. You have sold your darling veterinary practice uh, the practice that you you loved and nurtured and grew. And uh, I I want to talk to you today kind of about what that experience was like. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So just to set some some background real quick, you are a 93 graduate from Ontario Vet College. And in 2003, you became the co-owner of Carling Animal Hospital in Ottawa. Yeah, and, that's correct. Uh, you were the owner up until uh, up until last year, 2021, when you sold. Carling mm-hmm. has um, a great reputation. Uh, just quick Google search. Uh, you guys have 387 Google reviews and 4.6 star rating, which is rock solid. Uh, you seem to be running a very good practice. Um, how does so, it? Yeah, and the cool thing is being in Ontario, we're actually not allowed to solicit those reviews, so they're actually totally unsolicited. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got amazing clients, fantastic oh, yeah. clients. That's awesome. So tell me um, tell me how you came to be the owner at Carling. So let's just begin at the beginning. How did, uh, how did, you, how did you go from, from not being to being a co-owner? So I moved, um, I moved back to Ottawa. Ottawa's my hometown. I was born here. Um, and so I moved back after I'd been away practicing in other cities and my husband got transferred back. So my mom and dad had actually told me when Carling Animal Hospital got built, um, hey, there's this new clinic that's literally 10 minutes from our house. Wouldn't it be funny if you ever worked there? And I <laughs> joked and I laughed and I said, yeah, sure, mom. And as it turns out, that's where I ended up working. Um, 
And I actually had no interest in being an owner at that point. So I started there in 1998 and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm a great associate. And I was having, you know, I was being a vet and I was having a grand old time doing that. And what happened was um, there comes a point where you kind of say, okay, I'm going to be really good at what I'm doing. But then you get to the point where you're really good at it and you say, I kind of think I need to do something else or I'm going to get super bored and I'm just going to jump ship. Um, So coincidentally around that time, my, um, my business partner of many years uh, had bought into the practice a year ahead of me and, um, and we had made arrangements for me to buy in after that. So we both started as 20% practice uh, owners and then eventually bought out our majority um, partner a few years after that. Very nice. Okay. Um, so, so you get in and then to, so tell me about your experience as an, as an owner. So it's, it's, uh, 2003, you now yeah. have this hospital. Um, you know, we're talking about you were, you were the owner here for 20 years. Walk me through that journey of, of kind of growth. Um, well, there was growth for a bit and then we hit a recession, like a big one, um, which was terrifying because it was literally a year after we had finished buying out our majority partner. And so the two of us were kind of sitting there looking at each other going, Oh my gosh, what did we do? Um, And I think part of it that was, we had a vision for the practice. We actually have always had a vision for the practice, which is that we wanted it to be a culture centric practice. We had had a lot of difficulty. Like, I think this is, this is something that, you know, that I'm passionate about and you know that I actually want to have a team that enjoys working there and, and, and and all of those things. And so we, we did um, very much, start to institute things like a code of culture for the practice. And we started instituting, you know, this is how we're all going to be fair to each other in the practice. And, and, and it made it fun to eventually get to a point to say, we hire for culture as opposed to we hire for skill. Yeah. And so for us, that was a big thing. And that's what the practice has actually been predicated on all the way through. Yeah. Um, and so when you are doing that, um, I actually have a great passion for practice management and, and managing the actual hospital itself, as opposed mm-hmm. to necessarily, like, I, don't get me wrong. I like being a veterinarian. I'm a good sure. vet. Um, but I think if you were to ask me if you could only do one of those things, um, I would pick management every single time. Yeah. One, one of the things, you know, that, that I've always, I've always loved about you. I think it's absolutely true is like, you are that culture first practice owner and, and you, you always have been in my eyes. And I think that's why I really want to talk with you about this. It's not like, You've never struck me as the person who decided, hey, I'm going to make a vet practice that I can then turn around and sell, you know, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And, and I think that the, the reason I want to talk to you about this, you know, oftentimes with these interviews, the ones I'm especially really excited about, which like this one, are ones where I was like, I have questions and I don't know how I would feel about these sorts of things. And so you and I very much seem to to look at our work with a with a sense of passion and purpose. And I love I love having a team and I love growing a business, not because I plan to turn around and sell it, but because I want to make a great place for people to work. And I want to make something that, that is, that benefits my community. And in this case of of the stuff that we do community for me is vet medicine, as opposed to, you know, you uh, serving pet owners in in your, in your area, but, but you and I have things very much in common. And so, yeah, I think that's sort of the, the thing that really clicked for me when I, and why I really want to talk to you was, it doesn't seem like an easy decision, you know, versus someone who is like, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to buy this practice. I'm going to turn it around or I'm going to grow it up and then I'm going to hit this number and I'm going to sell it. Like that was never the, the idea that you had. No. And I think the, I think the interesting thing is that if you had spoken to me 
Well, in fact, two years ago, if you'd asked me, are you ever going to sell your practice? It was a flat out no. Like I had had actually said I would buy out my partner before I sold my practice. And I think, um, I mean, a couple of things happened. Uh, My my dad passed away a few years ago, um, which was was one of those situations where it was actually a bit of a blessing because he had Parkinson's and it was a really cruel disease for him. Um, No, it's okay. And, And I think he's in a he's in a better place now. And I'm pretty sure he's probably yelling at me for spilling family secrets right now. But anyway, um, but, we won't tell having, anybody. We won't tell yeah, anybody. Having, no, just your entire listening audience. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think things will happen in your life that actually kind of make you think about, um, you know, what it is that ultimately you want to do. Um, so that was a pretty, that was a, that was kind of a lightning bolt kind of moment for me. Um, I think the other thing that was really important for us was we had an associate who actually desperately wanted to be a practice owner. Um, I did ask her why, and you know, she's and, and she said, "Well, because like I want to be able to grow something and nurture something." And mm-hmm. and so when I actually started thinking about that, it was like, okay, yeah, this is this is someone that has the same vision for the practice that I've had. And so trying to think about how do you take this this intangible thing that you've built, right? And I think we had jokingly before we started recording called it my baby. Well, it actually, it is. Um, yeah. It's probably my third, oh, yeah. probably my third kid. My, my two children will probably argue it's the most important child for the number <laughs> of times I miss dinner or, you know, school plays and stuff. But yeah. what I think the important thing is, and, and for me, it's always been about what's the legacy of the practice that you build, right? Well, I'm not gonna so, speak- you say that, you say that, that's so hard. That's, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. To, it's like, oh, that is so painful and hard. You know, I remember when I was the president of the business club at vet school, and then it was a one-year term, and then I had to let somebody else do it after me. Like, that was heartbreaking. And that was the vet school business club uh, for one year. That's not, <laughs> that's not 18 years of practice ownership. Hard. You know what I mean? Like, so legacy is a funny thing, right? Because ultimately, I had... I had three big key p- groups of people that I was concerned about. And I had concerns primarily about my team. And I had concerns about leadership, especially within that team. And I had concerns about our clients because we've built this wonderful, phenomenal, friendly practice um, that we do our very best to aspire to always, you know, be the best that we can be. And, and you know, the past two years, I'm not going to lie, have been incredibly rough for that. Yeah. But um but I think in and amongst all of that, there's a sense on my part of I never wanted to I never wanted to grow something and then financially benefit from selling it at the expense of any of those key groups of people. Yeah. And um, I think when you go. To, so here's the other thing. Don't do what I did, because if you had asked me what mistakes I made in, in kind of orchestrating succession, um, which is that I didn't plan it at all. And so. <laughs> um, what what I actually think every single owner should do, regardless of whether you're imminently thinking of selling your practice or not, I think you need to have a list of things that you are focused on or that are that are your lines in the sand. And you know, I've had many discussions over the years about boundaries and um, making sure that we we have lines in the sand where we don't allow the breeder to drive up to our house with a pregnant. Yeah dog and well the puppies in your driveway right yeah. um i i had a very 
I was I was very, very adamant that I was not going to partner with somebody who could not see the vision of the practice and could not understand what an amazing place it was. Because if you don't understand how amazing it is, you're not going to you're not going to uphold the legacy of what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And uh, I'm incredibly fortunate. I've got two young and far more energetic associates who are now going to be the leaders in this practice and who are who are you know going to be owners in this practice and it's going to be amazing for them because they're so excited and they're so they're just so focused on the fact they want to keep growing it and they want it to be even better than what it is and and what i've said to them both is that my goal for both of them is that i want them to make something that they're incredibly proud of and that they want to then turn around and pass on to someone and have them grow well, you know it's, it's always been a, a growth mindset practice even yeah. from the time that that we were had, um, you know, that when from the time that we were associates, it's always been an, a, a very progressive hospital. And I, I have to say that it was, as you know, we had this conversation scheduled for a couple of weeks after our, the sale had closed. And I, I welched on it because I literally um, couldn't talk about it. Right yeah, then. no, take, take um, your time. No. And it was, uh, it was, it's hard, right? Because um, yeah. I was a mess on, so we closed on the 1st of September. I was a mess on the 31st of August. So the actual day before. Yeah. So I woke up that morning and I went, this is my last day as a practice owner. Oh yeah. And it hit me. Like I've been fine. Like the 30th of August, I was fine. 31st of August, I woke up and I was absolute total mess. And my like so much so my business partner, bless him, was standing in front of me in the hospital going, Don't don't talk to her. <laughs> don't talk to her today. She's Everyone leave her, her alone. Just, yeah, leave her alone. Um and I was like literally on the verge of tears all day that day um, because it was the very last day. And then yeah. on the 1st of September, I was actually fine. Yeah. I was totally fine. And and it was funny because I had forgotten all the running around we were going to have to do that day. So, you know, you had to go sign paperwork and go to the bank. We were like, literally, I didn't have time to think about anything other than getting all those details done. So, sometimes that's good. You know, sometimes it's, yeah. it's, it's really good to be just to be busy and to throw yourself into yeah. it. So what, what role, if any, do you think that the pandemic played in your decision to, to sell the practice? Is that, is that a very minor thing? Do you think that that, uh, that, that really pushed you in that direction? I mean, how did, how did those things interact? It didn't push me very much, actually, uh, aside from one thing, which I'll mention in a minute, but I'm, I am like, you, well, I'm like a chaos monkey. I throw, I'd like just any time that there's a problem that I can solve or do, um, come up with a solution for. So, I mean, we were recreating everything for 20 months. Um, and it was, it was fun for me because it was still this thing of, uh, you know, you've got this problem now, fix the problem, fix the problem. I'm a really good problem solver. I love doing that. So it also gave me a little bit of freedom to kind of say, okay, we do not have time to try and figure out how to implement telemedicine. We just have to do it. We do not have yeah. time to figure out how to do curbside. We just have to do it. So, um, and I could feel my uh, hospital manager cringing if she's listening to this because uh, she's always the she's the foil to me in the practice where she kind yeah. of says, "Okay, but you got to think how are we going to implement this thing? Yeah. It has to be consistent. The clients have to be you know aware." And and she's very good for kind of making you take about seven steps back and say, "Kid can't just drop this into the middle of the practice and expect it to work." And yet, 
that's what we were doing. You and I are kind of like a dark helmet in Spaceballs, where it's just like, <laughs> yeah. forget it, just go. And he yeah. just throws the gas pedal forward. That's uh, that's kind of, nope, we're yeah. doing it now. We are doing yeah. it now. Um, so, and yeah, and, and, you know, and all the process people around us are just literally trying to, you know, rope us back in. But oh, yeah. It's good. To be, it's good to be that, surrounded by those those people. <laughs> the, the, but, the people who are sane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the other interesting thing for me, though, is that I had part of part of what triggered this was and I think this happens to a lot of owners. Right. I'd had a fantastic like as fantastic as COVID could be, but I'd had a fantastic run through COVID where I was feeling like I was in pretty good control. And then yeah. I hit a wall about 18 months in, maybe 20 months in. And um, I flippantly said to a friend of mine, you know, if I could get this amount of money for the practice, I would walk away right now because I'd had a crap week. I was, you know, yeah, we a, all have that. I was right? like, I'm saying that about my children. I'm like, if someone offered me this much from, from my child, <laughs> yeah. I'd hand her over. At some point, yeah, people catch you at a moment of weakness and you're willing to, yeah, you're willing you're, to, yeah. to so part anyway, with your spouse for the right dollar. <laughs> I'm not going to tell Alec you said that. <laughs> yeah, don't tell my wife I said that. Um, so what I would say, though, happened was I had, it was a very flippant comment. Like, it was an absolute total flippant comment. And uh, my friend turned around and said to me, you, you realize it's worth more than that. And I said, no, 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 there's no way. Because I had thrown out what I thought was a ridiculous number. Oh, yeah, you thought you were pie in the sky in it. And they're like, oh, no, that seems very reasonable. Uh, yeah, yeah, he said, no, it's worth much more than that. Yeah. At which point I thought, okay, so, and then the fiscally responsible part of me kicks in, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, if it truly is worth this, the, the very first thing I need to do is have it valued because yeah. I, I actually didn't know. Sure. I mean, at, at first, when someone says it's worth this, at some point you go, I should at least look into this. Yeah. Well, and, the, and the, that's the other thing, right? Like, I think you should always have a sense of what your practice is worth. I think you need to know that. Um, and so whether it's having it valued kind of on a routine basis where you can actually know and kind of be prepped for this is what it's worth right now, because if you are, you never want to be at the point where you are so desperate to sell that you then don't have an option if it's not worth what you think it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think, and there are things you can actually do, you know, while we, while I never built it as a, I never built this practice up to be hey, I'm going to turn around and sell it to make this much money afterwards, and it's an investment. Um, I think if you are of that mindset, there are things that you can do if it's not coming up to where you think the practice is and should sure. be valued. Um, and, you know, your practice is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Um, so uh, I, I truthfully don't, you know, I think practice valuation is kind of this weird thing where you can say this is what it's theoretically worth, worth based on all of the numbers, but, you know, Right now, you can also then turn around and say, yeah, but what is someone willing to give me for it? And there's quite often a big discrepancy there. Well, so. yeah, and there, but then there's also the thing of like, if you if you don't measure it, you won't manage it. You know? And mm -hmm. so if there are key drivers of value and you don't know what they are, then you might be putting your efforts in a place that doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or you could yep. easily make some different choices and end up down the road 10, 20 years, whatever, uh, yep. in a very different place. We've, we, we've yep. all, we've all seen that. Uh, people who, uh, they buy a house to renovate and they renovate the wrong things. They put a, they yep. put a swimming pool in and wonder why the value of the house doesn't go up um, yep. versus replacing the windows. Uh, kind of, yep. kind of, kind of the same thing of what, what are we looking at here? What, what, 
gives value? Where, how are mm-hmm. we doing? And what are, are there anything that we could change? So I, I think you've sold me on the idea of evaluation as an ongoing management tool. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Hey guys, I just want to jump in here with a couple quick updates. Actually, just one real quick update because we have a workshop coming up over at Uncharted Veterinary Conference. This is a virtual workshop. It is on May the 21st. It's called Retain Your Team. Speak the language of appreciation in your workplace. Guys, this is all about making your staff actually feel engaged and appreciated and supported. I know a lot of us are dealing with uh, an overwhelmed staff and a tired staff. And how do you make them know that that they matter? And how do you make them feel like their job is important? And, and how do you make them really feel seen? I think a lot of us, we want to do a better job with that. And we know that keeping our people and keeping them engaged and making them feel like their work matters is a key piece in retaining them at a time where uh, we're where workers are hard to come by, especially good staff. They're hard to get. You do not want to miss this trick, guys. If you're not familiar with the languages of appreciation, this workshop is for you. If you are familiar and you want to see how it's really applied well in practice, this is also for you. My friend, Dr. Tracy Sands, is running this uh, online workshop. It's a two-hour workshop on May the 21st. It is from 2 p.m. Eastern to 4 p.m. Eastern. That is 11 a.m. Pacific to 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Guys, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to register, or you can just head over to unchartedvet.com and click upcoming events to see this and all the other events that we have coming your way. Gang, let's get back into this episode. I think the other, you know, and like I say, the critical thing for us was once we had that valuation, then we said, okay. And, um, you know, we talk about, is it a fiscally responsible thing to not consider this particularly, um, you know, given the, given the situation that I am actually much as I would like to wish otherwise not getting any younger. And, um, and, and I think that there's um, the flip side of this is that when I graduated, I was 23 and I'd had a single minded focus from the time I was probably like 10 or 12 to be a veterinarian. So I've never thought about anything else. I've never thought about being anything else. And so I never did any kind of really, I didn't do a lot of that kind of find yourself, didn't do the travel around Europe, didn't do all of, you know, I never backpacked through <laughs> Southern Asia or anything like that, right? But, so there, there were things experientially that, um, that I kind of said, no, I'm focused, I'm going to be a doctor. I knew how to rig all of those tests you took in high school, you know, where the career counselor yeah. comes in and says, here, take the test. And I could make it say veterinarian every single time from the time <laughs> I was 13. Um, and I was good at taking tests. So, you know, I had that, that one figured out. But I think the nice thing is that I'm still actually working at the practice. I prob- I plan on working at the practice actually for as long as they'll have me and also as long as it makes sense to do that. Um, and I'm still involved in now mentoring people who are coming up behind me who are going to take over the visioning part, right? Because that's hard to learn. Yeah. Unless you've got somebody there. So now we're talking about this is a passion project for me, right? This is now, this is something where I get to do the parts of this where I, where I love it. And, and, and it's the parts that are fun. And, uh, and I think that the, uh, the fact is, is that sometimes we have to scale back a bit to say, hey, it's okay to have fun doing what you actually love doing and still be able to be productive and all of those things. And I think succession for me wasn't, getting rid of the, the, it wasn't getting rid of the practice. It was focusing in on what I really wanted to do in the practice. And it was actually a fairly liberating thing to turn around and say, yeah, like this is, this is the part I love. So it's okay for me to do the parts I love 
and to scale back a little on the stuff maybe I'm not as passionate about anymore. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about about what you think it's going to be like working in the practice. I mean, you're going to be, are you going to be able to come in and say, oh my God, they're not doing it the way that I would do it, but I'm going to be okay with this. I mean, is that is that in your repertoire? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully right now, they're still asking my opinion on many things. I, I expect that. <laughs> Expect that's going to not be the case in a second, uh, in a second couple of quarter, probably like in another three or four months, because they're the skill sets just increasing by leaps and bounds right yeah. now. And so, do I miss not knowing everything? Yeah, a little tiny bit, right? Like I am, um, I, I, I've always had kind of really good insight into everything that's going on. And so the fact that I don't have that anymore is a little weird for me. Um, again, strangely a little liberating to not have to know all of that stuff too. But um, I think it, it's hard because you're so used to being the driving force behind the practice. And I think that took that took about two months or so for me to just scale back on and for me to have a manager finally look at me and go, you need to let me do this. I can't learn it if you don't let me do it. So yeah. it's like, okay. Um, and, and I think the good news was that I was, I was starting to get a lot better at delegating things in the last year or two of practice. Cause I didn't have a chance to, I didn't have, I didn't have the ability to not do that. Right. You, you, you were obligated with COVID to kind of delegate stuff. You can't do everything yourself. Right. And I think, and I'm okay to let it go. I, 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 I would have, again, as I said, two years ago, I would have never said this, but I think I'm in a place now where. I'm okay to let it go because I'm actually really confident in who's going to be taking over the legacy of it. Yeah. Um, and that for me was important. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> how did how did you end up finding associates that would take over that you felt so great about? Like, like, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are like, that's a great position. How I wish, how did you make that happen? So yeah, how did you, how did you come to a place where you have associates who A, want to do the work and then B, that you felt like, yes, this is the legacy that I want to leave behind. How do you, how do you know when you're there? So I'm incredibly fortunate, like amazingly fortunate because I think I've only had to, and I don't say this to brag, but it's just the reality of the practice is it's got a really good reputation. And we've advertised for veterinarians over the years and we screen really carefully for the people that we know adhere to culture for us. Like we, mm -hmm. we want to make sure that they're the right people. And if they adhere to our culture, then quite often we've already pre-selected them for being the ones that are going to want that kind of responsibility because that's part of what we're looking for. I got very lucky with these two phenomenal vets who were my associates and who are now going to be my boss eventually. Um, and I think that uh, both of them have drive and both of them have um, both of them have a background that I admire uh, from the standpoint that you've heard me wax poetic on the fact that I think that people who have been trained either in the arts or in high level sports or both um, have this great capacity for coaching and have this great capacity to accept feedback and who have mm -hmm. this great capacity to learn. Um, and both of these, both of these veterinarians, um, have a really strong artistic background. Like one, you know, like singing in singing in major high level um, operatic choirs as kids, managing full course loads at high school, um, being in artistic programs in, in high school. And in fact, also one of them is a high level uh, equestrian athlete. So, you know, we just, there's lots of things there that when I read those resumes and I go, yeah, this is a person I'm interviewing. I don't actually have a spot for you right now, but I'm gonna interview that person. And I don't, I don't ever, 
I don't ever turn down the right candidate if I don't have a job. Like that's the other key thing to remember is that you've got to be really super careful to not turn people like this away who are the who are the future of your practice. Yeah. Um, and it's the same for it's the same for every kind of position in our hospital. We're always looking for those people that have that little thing and it's not easy to work in my practice I, I tell people that all the time like you gotta you gotta understand that yeah it's it's a great place to work if you're a great fit but if it's not what you, if it's not perfectly what you want you're going to find it really hard hmm. um so we try our best not to set people up for failure by accepting someone into that group that doesn't have the capacity to be able to 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 be happy there and that's really important for us there's there's a perception that selling your practice to your associates uh is is uh a guaranteed path to uh to a lower financial return than selling to a consolidator you know some big corporation or venture capital group or something like that that's going to stroke checks uh and they want to they want to acquire a lot of practices i know that that is not news to you uh and it had it had to cross your mind and you've talked a lot about you know legacy being important um did you have those thoughts at all? Did you look at what private equity groups or other groups like that would be willing to to even offer? Or did you say, I don't even want to look at that stuff. This is what I want to do. Uh, we we actually do have a corporate partner as well. Um, so it's not just uh, it's not just a direct sale to associates. So they're 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 partnering with uh, a corporate group with us. Um, so the nice thing for them is that all of this stuff that was hard for us that we had to learn to do. Mm -hmm. So basically the corporate group, the corporate group takes over um, and does some of the business part that most people who are veterinarians and veterinary medicine focused don't necessarily want to do. So they handle our payroll, they handle paying bills, they handle, you know, all of that. They handle HR. I think yeah. the, the, um, the good news for us is that those two associates who are who are buying into our practice actually want to do some of that stuff still so that's good so they drive the culture i think when you're looking at corporate practices or corporate groups there's a huge variation of what kind of corporate groups are out there okay. um and you're gonna find and not forgetting that even if you if you sell to a corporate group you are probably gonna have to stay in that practice for two years at least at least yeah so you're gonna want to find a group of people that you can work with um, and I would say that we're incredibly fortunate with the group that we're partnered with because they are very much interested in wanting to preserve the legacy of what made the hospital really amazing. And they just, they get out of our way on that sort of thing, right? So they're yeah. not telling us how to practice medicine. They're not telling us how to, how to run day-to-day -day operations. Um, and they're allowing Carling to still be Carling. And that's so important. So much so that um, we actually haven't... Um, truly done an announcement yet for our clientele that this has actually occurred because the expectation is they should not notice a difference and they haven't. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think you can be exceedingly fortunate in finding corporate partners that actually will allow you to do that. Um, and there are others that are going to turn around and, and I think I was listening to a podcast. I think it was Dr. Lester that you spoke to um, yeah, Bob with Lester. regards to, yeah. So you, you can have what's called compliance culture, which is basically where they come in and they mandate, here's how you treat and here's how you handle, you know, every single case. And, and that was definitely not what we want. And so if you're talking to corporate groups, put as many of them at the table as you possibly can, mostly so you can hear the different ideas of how they plan to support your practice 
um, after a sale. And if you don't have an associate who wants to buy in, there are a great many corporate groups that will actually still support your vision um, of, of what you wanted your practice to be because they're buying the successful practices and they want to make sure that what caused that practice to be successful continues, right? There's no, yeah. there's no advantage for them coming in and paying good money for a practice that they're then going to turn around and change the model and change everything, right? Because the clients won't be happy, the team won't be happy. And, and, and so there, and, and you also want a, a group that's going to say, yeah, we're not perfect. Yeah. I actually, I actually um, asked every single one that we spoke to, like, have you made mistakes? Tell me about what you did to fix them. Tell me, you know, so because I'm looking for, I'm still looking for growth mindset, right? I'm still looking for mm -hmm. those partners that have that growth mindset so I can turn around and say, yeah, this is, this is who I want to be partnered with. Yeah. So give me a little bit of a timeline on this because this is really interesting. So uh, you, you had associates that you knew were interested in the, in the, in ownership. Did they mm -hmm. bring up the idea of partnering with a corporate group? Did you introduce that idea? How do you start to put those pieces together so that everybody feels comfortable and kind of comes together into a into a package that works because I, I think this is I don't know I I, I it makes me very optimistic I, I like this yeah. uh, I like this idea so what we did it was I was feeling like a broken record by the time we because we had we had spoken to five different corporate groups uh, as a starting point and part of the reason we did that was to get a, a sense of what the maximum value of the practice might be um, okay. because we knew exactly as you say it's going to be higher than what uh, you know a private single person is probably going to be able to pay. And again, when we started talking to them, they would ask us, what's important to you? Every single one we talked to asked us, what is important to you? And we said, we do not want people to come in and we don't want you to come in and rebrand the hospital. We don't want you to stipulate medical mm -hmm. treatment to us. We don't want you to tell us that we have an obligation to use this specific drug and we can't use anything else. We don't, you know, so there, there were a lot of things that we had, but the one thing that we actually went in and said right off the bat was if you cannot promise us that you will look after our team. And if you cannot promise us that there is a place for these two associate doctors who want to be part of leadership, we are walking away from the table right now. Oh, interesting. By the way, most of the larger corporate groups are extremely good at creating customized plans for how associates can buy in or mm -hmm. be a part of um, management. There's medical director positions in larger hospitals. There's, there's all kinds of different things that you can potentially throw out there as, an, as a, a workable solution. And they are, for the most part, willing to consider a lot of those things, especially if you have a practice that they really want. Um, they're going to They'll, they'll, they'll turn around and offer you things that you never thought would be possible, actually, for what people can do to be involved. We basically said to them, our key hospital manager has got to be taken care of. She is absolute linchpin in our practice. If you do not have this lady, you are going to be in some serious trouble. So we safeguarded her position. Like we basically said, this is a, this is a non-starter. You don't, you know, if she's not, if she's not in this role, we're not, we're also not interested. So mm. we, we, we leveraged a lot of that. Um, and we had those discussions right up front and it was more, we never, we never mentioned, we never mentioned money ever. We didn't care once we got past a certain threshold, but what they were going to tell us the practice was worth our far, our far bigger concern was what were they going to do for our team and what were they going to do for our clients? Yeah. Um, and it's okay to have those conversations because Really and truly, it's like you've always said, and like I've always said, you look after your team, you look after, they look after your clients, and mm -hmm. then it's a profitable practice. And so there's 
no reason to change that model just because you happen to have a corporate partner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. How did you start to communicate this to the team? I mean, I, I imagine screaming and, sh- and waving hands and the sky is falling, you know, and, and just, I mean, let's, I, I'd say that jokingly, but let's be honest. Um, it's, it's a, people are, people are afraid of the unknown. And this is yep. a big unknown that appears where they, especially, especially, you know, uh, there's, there's this idea in Buddhism that I really like. It's the idea that people really want to believe they have control. Mm-hmm. And so they spend their days piecing their world together around them in a way that feels like it's stable and under their control. And then when that world gets torn apart, um, they have a panic attack, existential dread and fear. And then, and then they go right back to work piecing it back together. So did you tear that raft of perceived control apart for these people? Did they, yeah. How, how did they, how did they take it and how did you communicate it? We actually, we told a few key people in the practice first because we needed their help. We needed their buy-in. Yep. We wanted them to understand that it was not this big, bad, horrible situation that was coming in and, you know, that, that it was going to be awful. You'll get varying um, suggestions from of when you should tell your team that this is happening. And, mm-hmm. and we had suggestions of you could wait until a week before. And we know our team really well. And we know that they are a bunch of people that are literally going to need to fall apart for about four days and then they'll yeah. pull it back together. Um, so we fought really hard actually to tell them early. And we knew there might be some risk of, of people deciding that this was not a comfortable thing for them and them not wanting to stay, which, um, which actually did happen. And I, I, I would also say we didn't handle this 100% perfectly either, right? Because there were, there were probably some people that we should have brought into the loop sooner um, than we did. Um, but then there was also this overarching desire to be fair to everybody and not to yeah. have too many people know ahead of everybody else and, and how do you do that? So, yeah, um, I, there, I don't, I don't know that there's a right way. You know, I, I think that that's one of those things you just, yeah. you can't know and you'll always get it wrong. Yeah. And you have regret on stuff like this. I always do. Like, I, yeah. I think, I, I don't think that there are, I don't think a major decision like this goes by where I don't actually have regret on certain things that we did or decided on. And part of it is uh, I equate it to, I equate it to when you're dealing with end of life for a pet, right? Okay. And you you say that ultimately, if I had a crystal ball and I knew when that pet's life was no longer going to be okay, I would choose to let that pet go like yep. 10 minutes before that and it would be fine. And how often do we miss that point? Every, and, every and time. I can, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every time. And I can say this really honestly because I actually missed it on my own dog yeah. um, mm-hmm. about 15 years ago. And so it's not about... So you do the very, and I tell clients this all the time, and I tell people this all the time, you do the very, very best with the information you have, and you do the very, very best with what you know to be accurate. And if you make a poor decision based on all of that, hindsight's always going to be perfect. You'll always have regret. And I I choose to say that I did the very best I could. I don't think I, uh, I, I would, I would like to say I never, I never, I never go through stuff like this without really thinking and really thinking yeah. hard and really thinking a lot. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm a human being and I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. So. Oh, sure. I, it's the human experience. Yeah. What are you, what are you most looking forward to now that you're, now that you're, uh, now that you're not the practice owner anymore? Do you know what? I, I, I actually, 
uh, haven't had time to do a lot of reading in the last two to three years. Read a book. Um, so I am reading a book, and actually I'm reading this really cool book that I heard about on our, you know, our public radio station, CDC, and um, and it's about why we forget stuff, um, which you know has become somewhat of a reality for me of <laughs> late. Um, but you know, having a dad who had dementia and Parkinson's, uh, you know, you always have this little nagging voice in the back yeah. of your head of Am I like, am I, am I going down that same road? Because I can't remember where I parked my car. And yeah. so this has been, you know, so there's, there's some, there's some stuff like that, that normally I would have, you know, kind of kept up on reading and things like that. So I've got this book right now that kind of explains why that happens. And it's been earth shatteringly fantastic for me to be able to read that because now I feel, okay, I am, I'm okay. And I am not abnormal in the fact that the distraction level that I have causes me to forget where I leave my car in the parking lot, as opposed to the fact my memory is no longer working. Yeah. And, um, you know, and rereading stuff that I, I'm rereading books that I've actually read in the past that I really loved and, and reading them with a new, reading them with a new outlook, right? So I'm rereading Atomic Habits and I'm rereading uh, Good to Great and a couple of those other books that I just kind of go back to periodically and to read them with a, with a new focus and a new light of, hey, this is now me getting to do stuff that I um, that I want to do. And it's actually the, 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 the slight little change in thought process there has been kind of interesting for me. So I've been doing a lot more journaling. Like I have time to do things right now that I, I haven't had for, you know, 15 years. And, and so that's all good too. Where, uh, where can people find you online if they want to, uh, if they want to keep up with your adventures? Uh, you know what? Um, this is funny because everybody asks me this and I actually am very private online. So I have an Instagram account and I have a Facebook account, but I tend to not, I tend to, I tend to not be on there a whole ton. And I, and I know because there's this black hole that occurs for me, like being on there that I, that I, I, it's time that is far, far too precious to me. I don't know whether I might be a little more active in the future, but, um, I think that, uh, I'll, I'll always be kind of kicking around, but it, it's, you can find me, you can find me there. Um, and don't be offended if I don't necessarily, um, if I don't necessarily accept a friend, uh, you know, friend request <laughs> from a person I don't know, because I, I, I am, I am probably, um, you know, one of the most private people that you could possibly imagine. And I safeguard that actually a little bit. Um, Sai, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's been fun. It's been great to talk to you and great to see your face again. And that is it. That's our episode, guys. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Sia Clement for uh, being open and vulnerable and sharing her experiences. I, I took a lot away from this. It gave me a lot to think about. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, this was a this was a good episode that uh, I really really enjoyed making. So anyway, guys, if you uh, if you enjoyed the episode, as always, one of the kindest things that you can do is write an honest review wherever you get your uh, podcast. It's the way that people find the show, and it means a lot to me. So I'd really do appreciate it, gang. Take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you later. Bye.